Let's hear what he has to say to us, shall we? Please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are in a study of the book of 1 Peter. Find ourselves in chapter 2. I want to share a timely message with you uh, that is for all of us. And so let me read this passage to you in 1 Peter chapter 2. We left off at first verse 4. And I read from the English Standard Version. Uh, 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Peter, again, is speaking to the church at large, and he's speaking to them on how to be sustainable in a pagan world, how to survive and how to live in power and the presence of God in a pagan nation as a people chosen by God. So he tells us, and our key verse is found in verse 5. He says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, God left His body here. Just as He had pictured in the Old Testament the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices that would mediate between a holy God and a fallen world, God provided that. He illustrated it through the nation of Israel for what was going to come. And you're what was going to come. The church. This is what He had pre-planned and ordained for a time that the nations could come to God through the intercession and ministry of His people, the church, His body. And so what was in the Old Testament foreshadowing and looking to Christ Jesus was also a foreshadowing of what Christ was going to do through us. (coughs) He says, 
though Jesus is the cornerstone in which it's all built and lined up on, he said we're living stones being built up into a spiritual house. We're that spiritual house. So he identifies the church as three things in the earth right now that Christ himself did and has now called us to do. One, the spiritual house. That's the tabernacle. That's the temple. That's the identifying presence of God. So we're to be the presence of the Lord. What is now the temple of God's Spirit? Us. Literally, our bodies. Collectively, all of us. You represent Jesus. How you doing with that? Paul says that we're to make Jesus look attractive. Oh, you all look pretty today. You look beautiful. You got your hair combed. Got your makeup on. But do you represent spiritually? Do you make Jesus look good on you? Right? We're the presence of God. We are that tabernacle. Is the Shekinah glory cloud hovering over you? So wherever you go, there's glory, right? How many of you think of uh, Peanuts cartoon? What was that guy that wherever he went had a cloud over him? Pigpen, right, pigpen. But that was dirt. That guy carried dirt wherever he went. Are you carrying that cloud of glory? When you walk into a room, the presence of Christ arrives. The aroma of Jesus is there. Or do people groan? (laughs) Well, they groan because the presence of Christ showed up sometimes. So we're that spiritual house, he says. We're the ones who are to be that. But also that comes with the temple, the place of meeting, is the priesthood who is to mediate. We're not only the presence of Christ, we're the priests of Christ. We're the ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We represent mediation to where people can reach the Lord through you. And then last of all, he says, we're to give spiritual sacrifices We are the sacrifice. We're to be a living sacrifice. We're to lay down our lives for the sake of the cross so that some may be saved. Paul said, I become all things to all people. I'm going to become the procurement. I'm going to be the one that procures or sets their heart upon Christ because they've met me and I know Christ and now they've met Jesus. So, Peter says we're to be the The temple, the priesthood, and the sacrifice, all three. Now, he said we're living stones being built together. So, I think of the church like this. Living stones, all put together. This is the condition of the church right now. We're saved by grace. We all pile together. And so there it is, the church, all over the world, universal. But that's not the design. What's the difference between living stones like this or living stones like this the difference is placement and unity each living stone being placed where it should be paul says you've been placed into a body we've 
uh, encouraged you and reminded you that you belong here at Christ Community Church. And so there's a place for you here, and there's a position for you here in the mix of this body and the people you're sitting next to. It matters that you sit next to them. It matters that you talk to them. It matters that you visit and work together. It matters because we're being built together. We're not just a pile of bricks till he comes. We're something that is designed specifically for this community. Christ Community Church, we're being built together on this corner of the street, along with the Nazarene Church down on that corner, and the Catholic Church around that church, and the Methodist Church down on that corner. Together, we're supposed to be built together, coming together as one great body of Christ. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make us get together. And so, find your place as a living stone in the placement of God. Not only that, then, as priests, we mediate. We mediate. This world needs mediation. They don't know God. They want to, but they don't like the God of Christians because basically they don't like Christians. Now, we're not going to get them to like us, but I certainly want them to see past us and see Christ. Many of them don't know Jesus. We've got to rightly represent, and so we really have to mediate. So we've got to get to know Him better, not just as a religious way, but know Him passionately, know His character, know how He would respond and talk to people. Do you know Him? Do you know His heart? For each situation, we've got to mediate that. And then last of all, we have to be that living sacrifice. We're to be the living sacrifices. What Christ did, we do. We lay our lives down. It's not about us. This life is not about us. It's not about how much we can get. It's not about how blessed we are. God will take care of you, and if he can find a faithful vessel that will give away what he's given them, he will give you more. We've got a doctrine right now that says just keep getting more. Show everybody how blessed you are. Come to Jesus and you could be like me. It's the wrong message. Come to Jesus and you can find him, be like him. And so this is what Peter's saying. If you want to be sustainable, if the church is going to last in this earth, then it needs to be the temple of God, it needs to be the priesthood of God, and it needs to be the sacrifice of God. Because there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for another. And the church has got to get back to modeling that sacrifice. And so in verse 5 he says, bring me the sacrifice Spiritual sacrifices. Now, here's the how-to verse. How do we do that? Verse 11. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Right? I urge you as aliens. There's aliens among us. Aliens. We're the aliens. We're the aliens from another planet, from another kingdom. Another kingdom. And so we're foreign to this fallen kingdom because you've been born again to a righteous position. 
And so he says, I'm urging you, in this time that you have on this planet, make it count. How are we going to be an impactful church and bring it all the way down to us as individuals? How am I going to be an impactful believer in this day? He says, here it is, right here. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Still got that Adam container that you're in, but you're born from above and the Spirit of God is in you. And so there's a war going on. And so what we have to do as a people of God, if we're going to be that glory of God as a temple of a people, if we're going to be the priesthood and mediators between this world, if we're going to be that living sacrifice, we've got to know how to put aside the flesh and hunger after God. Walk in His presence. And so... The key here, as he's telling us, is you need to abstain in order to gain. Simple. We'll make this a bumper sticker. Put it across your forehead. I don't care. Make a t-shirt. Abstain to gain. What he's speaking of is fasting. A fasted life. Fasting. Monks did that thousands of years ago. What are you talking about? No, a fasted life is what Peter's talking about. If you want to be ready for the Lord, to be the sacrifice ready to lay down at all times, you need to be in tune with Him. You need to set aside flesh for the purposes of spirit. So, I mean, this is an amazing concept, to abstain from something so that you gain something else. Real simple. If I abstain from spending money on this stuff, I could save it for this stuff. Some of you have no concept of that. That was a joke. (laughs) Look at your wife or your husband and say, did you get this? Right? You see what I'm saying? If if I abstain, it's a very simple concept. If I abstain, abstain from one thing so that I can focus on another, I will be enriched for the other. It's really simple. Right? If this thing does bad things to my body, I'm going to stay away from it so that I can do these things. Let me put it in a spiritual sense. If I sow to the flesh, I will reap of the flesh. If I sow to the Spirit, I will reap to the Spirit. So if I abstain from that, I will grow in that. Does that make sense to you? That's what he's saying. To abstain, to gain. It's the power of a fasted life. Not just a fast, oh, I fasted once. Last year we had a fast. I think it was for two weeks. That was cool. But what we want to do as a church is we want to move into this presence of the Lord so that we are the presence of His glory as a temple, living stones, the presence of a mediator as a priesthood, and a presence of a sacrifice, a, a sacrificial life. We're going to begin a fasted life where we hunger and thirst after God. If I would spend less time feeding my flesh and feeding my spirit, then I will increase in the ways of the Lord. Right? We've all spent many years learning how to eat a lot of food. We Americans eat a lot of food. We like a lot of food. We know how to cook a lot of food. We have cookbooks, our popular shows, our cooking shows. I mean, we've got all that. But how many of you have a good recipe for healing? How many of you have a really good recipe? You really know how to cook up a good dish of edifying someone. 
you really know how to prepare a beautiful spiritual dish for your neighbor who's saying, I don't know what to do. My husband's in the hospital and I need help. I'll make you a casserole. That's great. And it's good to serve them in that way, but not only serve them a casserole, but begin to know how to pray and call down heaven for the sake of their husband. That's going to take a fasted life. That's going to take investing in spiritual things instead of just physical things. Now, that's what Isaiah talks about in abstaining to gain. I'm going to give you three points on fasting today. Because I want you to understand the power of this that Peter is calling to. I I don't think I'm out of context at all in this scripture when he talks about the three things we're to be. That temple, that priesthood, and the sacrifice. And he says in verse 11, this is how you do it, abstain from the flesh. So we abstain from the flesh to gain in the spirit. Say it with me. Abstain from the flesh to gain in the spirit. One more time. Abstain from the flesh to gain in the spirit. Now, I want to give you three keys on how to do that. Number one, we go right to the verse that's essential, Isaiah 58. Turn to Isaiah 58 because you might want to mark it. You might want to underline some things. I'm going to make it brief, but the whole chapter is wonderful. As you're turning there, let me explain it to you. God is speaking to Israel, and He says, you know, you folks fast your religious fasts, and and." Jesus even commented on the Pharisees' fast. They powder their face. (laughs) It's kind of funny. They'd get powder and they'd put it on their face and stand on the corner and say, I'm fasting. Why would they powder their face? Guess, Guess why? So it looked like they were really starving. I've been fasting so long. And Jesus said, yeah, you got your reward. Everybody said, ooh, they're so holy. Ooh. They'd powder their face so they look weak. But yet, they were not hungering after God. And in Isaiah 58, he says, you people are doing a fast, but this is not the fast I've called to. This is not what I want out of a fast. What I want out of a fast is an exchange from the flesh to the spiritual. And in this verse, he says this, is not this the fast that I choose? Now watch this. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Now what he means is this. Don't give me a fast where you fast from your food and you pray, but you still hold people in bondage. through your unforgiveness and your uncaring manners and and you would walk by them praising God when they're in need and you'd ignore them. It's the Good Samaritan message, right? He says, this is the kind of fast I want. A fast to where the nation of Israel doesn't have people who are hungry and hurting and down and out, but everybody begins to care for one another. Does that make sense to you? A fast that when you draw so close to God... That, that instead of eating your food, you're giving your food to the hungry. Not only, therefore, are you searching God in your fast, but you're becoming something of value to your neighbor. What good is it that we're so spiritually close to God and making no impact on the people around us? A true fast will get you hungry for the Lord, and then you'll start walking like the Lord. Our goal to be like Jesus 
is to act and walk and talk like Jesus. So he says, this is what a fast will do. It will break the bonds of wickedness. You see, a fast will begin to expose your flesh nature. It'll begin to expose your selfishness. This is why nobody likes a fast. Look at the first week of a fast, the first part of a fast, nobody likes because we don't want to give up food or the things we like, whether it's food or whether it's TV or electronic, whatever you choose. Nobody likes that. Guess why? Because your flesh starts going, wah, wah, wah. Oh, I want it, I want it, I want it. And you all recognize that. But you have enough hunger for God, you say, no, I'm going to stick with it because I love you, Jesus. Then the next phase of the fast is going to start identifying you. Then you're going to start realizing, I've been so selfish. I haven't even been paying attention to the Lord. I've been living a life unto me. See, the fast begins to break the wickedness. Guess where first? In us. In us. Think about our prayer life, people. Some of you may be amazing prayer warriors, but I would expect things to be different among us if we were. But imagine if we all began to fast from our comfort to hunger for Christ. Bonds of wickedness would break off of us and the others around us to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. And that also speaks spiritually to the realm of the enemy's work in our lives and other lives and in this land. If we would begin to fast and pray, God said, if we would repent and turn from our wicked ways, He would heal our land. And so a fast basically says... Get serious! That's really what it is. And he goes on to say this, break the yoke over your land. Break the yoke and the bondage over your household. Break the yoke and bondage over your own life. How can spirit-filled people be so bound? Because incrementally, he's made us strapped into our concept of we're okay. And the fast will be... It's the, only, uh, it's the only thing that'll begin to expose our flesh. It opposes the flesh. He goes like this. Is, not, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh or your own relatives? Huh? Some of you have been hiding from Aunt Gladys, your mother-in-law. That was another joke, sorry. Look at, do you see what's happening here? The fast is changing us, but also having impact on those around us. It's changing our culture, too. Do you see this? Because now in the fast... I'm abstaining from all of my gluttony, but I'm now becoming aware of those hungry around me. When we would begin to fast and realize a spiritual hunger in us, our eyes will be opened 
to a spiritual hunger around us. Does that make sense to you? That if I'd stop gorging myself with this food, I'd recognize that there's people out there who could use it. Instead of paying five bucks for my latte every day, maybe I could back that off and give it to the guy I pass every day that's in need. Oh, he should get a job. You know what? Why don't you start dealing with you and Jesus and bring that man to Christ? And the Lord will help him find his way. When you see someone naked, cover him. Hey, doesn't this sound vaguely familiar? When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. Who does that sound like? Hmm. Sounds like Jesus on a very important day. The day of judgment, huh? Because if you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And see, what's happened is, if we don't regularly fast and regulate and look at our lives and take inventory, that's what a fast does. It breaks this stuff. It breaks the, uh, uh, what, is that? what are those things that get on boats when they're in the water so long? Barnacles. All the barnacles on us. We're Barnacle Bob. Arr, we walk around with all this barnacles on us. But a fast will begin to show us what a mess we are. We'll break them loose, and we can break loose for others too. The church has got to get back to these disciplines. Pastor, that sounds legalistic to me. It has nothing to do with legalism. It's not about winning a salvation or earning your salvation. It's about having a passion for the Lord that you love and recognizing that you're disfigured from what you're supposed to look like. And so we abstain to gain. It gives you incentive. It gives you motivation. The reason I'm going to fast isn't to just suffer through it and find it. Maybe I'll win some brownie points in heaven because I fasted. It has nothing to do with that. It has to gain strength and vigor in your spirit, man. It has to gain your spiritual maturity to a new level and the cataracts coming off your eyes to see the harvest is white in front of you. This is why we abstain, so that we may gain. And that's what Peter's saying. We're living stones. Where's the temple of God in the earth? Where's the, where's the priesthood that's calling down the fire of heaven for those who need it? Where are the sacrifices of those laying their lives down for the sake of the rest? Someone laid themselves for you. You're here because someone laid their life down to pray for you. You're here because someone gave you what you needed You didn't find Jesus. A whole bunch of people prayed you into this place because of a sacrifice and a fasted life. We're that spiritual house. We're His presence. We're His priests. We're His procurement of bringing people in. So the second thing this means when we go to a fasted life, this means war. Why? He said, well, if you will abstain from the flesh... Because you are at war with the members of your body, your flesh. We're at war. Well, I made a peace treaty with my flesh. We have parties. We like each other. We celebrate. I enjoy my flesh. And so I've got to be careful with that. Do you see what I mean? There's supposed to be a war going on. How many of you know this war? You do know this war. I know this war. Fights against our selfishness, right? We looked at the seven deadly sins. 
We limped out of here after each week when we would review them and go, oh my gosh, that's me. Fasting highlights that. Fasting shows you where the war is. If you want to beat the enemy, you've got to know where his weapons are placed. Does that make sense to you? I mean, if you're being shot at by some part of your thinking, some part of your woundedness, some part of a lie that the enemy placed in your mind, you've got to find out where is the stronghold is. Fasting will press your heart into that, forsake your flesh, and your flesh will go, hey, wait a minute, I thought we were friends. You're not my friend. Back away. And as you back away, you begin to see, why, you stinking imitator. I don't want to look like you. I don't want to be friends with you. You've been lying to me. And it's your flesh, and you begin to realize there's where it's coming from. And as you fast and abstain from that, and you're in war, you begin to get a download of the Holy Spirit's arsenal, where He begins to bring truth that breaks every lie, healing that destroys all bitterness and woundedness. This is what's happening in a fast. There's activity in a fast. It sounds odd, doesn't it? Because we're fasting, we're abstaining. That means not doing certain things. But you're gaining from not doing those things a download from heaven. Does that make sense? So you're hungering after the things of the Lord. And so it means war. And that's what's taking place. Now, that's what God is doing in us. And in the third part, He says that What we want to do then is use this flesh as a call to prayer. It's an alarm clock. It's a very clever thing. It is. So in all practicality, let's say you're going to fast, and the typical fast is from food or certain foods. Uh, We're going to be sharing a number of messages in the coming weeks that will help you understand how to fast. First, we set a time period, you know, three day, one day, 20 day, 40 day. We'll talk about that in a minute, but according to your fast, you're going to make a decision in prayer what to abstain from. If it's all food and you're only going to drink liquids, that's an intense fast. That's a hunger. You're going to seek after something in that time. So what you're doing, or maybe you're going to abstain from meats and sweets, like a Daniel fast, a partial uh, areas. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be. It might be that you would abstain from Facebook, your hunger for social networking. It might be abstaining from electronics or TV shows or something else. Here's the point. What you need to begin to pray for is ask yourself, what is a part of my appetite that is taking my time, so that if I abstain from that, I will set my appetite towards the Lord. It's that simple. And then guess what this thing becomes? An alarm clock. Let's just say you're fasting from food, and your stomach goes, that's an alarm clock that says what? Pray. Time to pray. I'm hungry for prayer. In a fast, and you're sitting in your chair going, now what am I supposed to do? My TV's off. (laughs) Ding! That's an alarm clock. That says, why don't you be entertained 
by God. And I purposely use that term. Entertainment means to be fascinated, to enjoy, to delight in something. All right? And so entertainment is very different than amusement. See, entertainment means to be, again, delighted in something. And how many of us find our delight in the music of this world, in the TV programs of this world, in the series of these world, uh, anything else, in Googling, in YouTubing, in Craigslisting, whatever. That's our entertainment. Why can't we be absolutely entertained by God? We've got a problem if we can't be entertained by God. His majesty, His glory, His humor, His wonder. He's written an amazing book. You should read it. And then in the Spirit, begin to imagine it and be entertained by the visions of God, right? Well, what is amusement? To muse means to consider and to think. But to amuse, the ah means not. Amusement is simply brainless activity. We've got a generation of people who are involved in brainless activity. Do you see how we've all become brainless in our activities? Right? We're all, come on, next time you go out to lunch or dinner, everybody's at the table like this. Not being entertained, but being amused. TV does not entertain, it amuses. In other words, it makes us mindless and numb. There's less brain activity watching TV than sleeping you're probably better off going to sleep so God can give you some dreams and visions because he sure can't break into your primetime TV. You're locking them out by just being dulled. Go to bed. God will finally be able to talk. So this is what a fast does. A fast begins to use what is our downfall as an alarm to prayer. It's genius, it's brilliant, and it can motivate. And then you begin to wrestle through, and then you begin to pray, and you begin to pray more, and you begin to hunger more, and it develops a hunger. Now, this is going to be tough on some of you, but it's because you don't know the taste of what you're seeking yet. You don't have an appetite yet for it. But once you begin to taste and see that He is good, He's better than a steak. He's better than the French fries. I'm telling you, He's better than a hot fudge sundae. He's better, wait, I haven't finished yet, than a hot fudge cream puff. He's better, whoo, glory, now we're talking. He's better, whoo, than Sanders chocolate. He's better than pizza. He's better than the best thing you can cook or think or eat. And if you don't know that, you haven't tasted him yet. Oh, I'm telling you. This is what we've got to become hungry for. This is the appetite that we want to awaken. So, as your pastor, I'm calling us to a 40-day fast. Because there is some good food. Listen, you like wine? Don't answer that question. 
using it as an analogy. Do you remember what Jesus did at the wedding feast? He saved the best for last. Day 35. Day 36. Oh boy, I didn't think I could go this long. Then the good food begins to come out. The best wine begins to pour out because your appetite for God is more and more. It's deeper and deeper. You want the choice things of the Lord. I'm calling us to a 40-day fast. I believe it's essential for this day, for this hour, for us as a people. It's voluntary. I'm not making you do anything. But I'm encouraging, would you come on this journey with us? Would you enjoy a hunger being developed for God? Come on, right? And so what I'm saying is this. A fast for spiritual hunger. This is what we're seeking. A hunger for God. When we hunger and thirst after Him, we're going to be that temple. We're going to be that priesthood. We're going to be that sacrifice that Peter's talking about that is going to be amazing to this world. That's going to sustain us through these days and in this hour. I want you to go and crave a deeper intimacy with the Lord. I want to encourage you to experience the power of fasting and to incorporate it in your life. We're going to fast from September 30th through November 8th. We're going to start on a Wednesday, finish on a Sunday. We're going to publish a devotional for you. We're going to have it for you so that daily you can get into that devotion. We're going to help you figure out what you should fast from. And we're going to help you walk through that time of 40 days so that you'll develop a hunger for Jesus like you've never had before. Look at I know you love Jesus. You wouldn't be here this morning if you didn't. I know that you know Him. I know that you know a lot about Him. I know many of you know how to pray. Many of you know how to lay hands on the sick. Many of you know how to witness. That's wonderful. That's great. But can I tell you, you need an upgrade. Last year's anointing isn't what you need today. You need a fresh filling. You need to be being filled. You need newness, freshness each day. And that's what we're calling this body to. We're ramping it up spiritually for what God has for us. And so I ask just one question. Are you with me? Are you with me on this? Amen? Let us pray. Would you stand with me before the Lord?